0: Hello again, and welcome to our mini series on spiritual disciplines. Today, we're going to be talking about, I think, my favorite thing stewardship, Uh, which is a, I guess, a funny word for basically giving. And I don't, I'm not just talking about money, okay? Now, uh, we're talking about all of the things which God has blessed us with that we can give back. And so, uh, let's talk about money first because I think when we talk about giving or we talk about stewardship, that's the first thing that comes to our mind, right? Uh, and let's be honest, a quarter, 25%, roughly, of Jesus' parables throughout the Gospels were about money. Luke 7, uh, Luke 12, Mark 4, all kind of, some of the more popular ones. He talks a lot about money. But really what he's talking about is stewardship. Uh, that is, the things uh, that we do with the things that God has already blessed us with. So in other words, the thing that things that God has already given us. Stewardship is how we keep it, how we dole it out, how we gift it. Okay? So in life, we are stewards of what God has given to us. And that's everything, right? When we talk about spiritual, when we talk about stewardship as a spiritual discipline, we're talking about using what God has given us, income, resources gifts talents abilities whatever it is um, to bless others and grow the kingdom how we take those things and how we can help grow the kingdom through it the growth of faith in us becomes a byproduct of generosity okay generosity becomes a byproduct of when we grow in faith and in godliness through spiritual disciplines And through generosity comes really good stewardship. Hey, woo!
1: what a good day to be here. It's the end of March, which means there's got to be spring around the corner, right? Like, like there has to be, the birds are chirping away, it's got to be close. And every Sunday I wake up and there's a little bit of fluffy white stuff on the ground. I doubt for a moment that that might be true. We're so glad that you're here. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, it's a wonderful season to be connected as we dive into the next phase of life and ministry that we all find ourselves in. We are winding up a series that we've been in for the last several weeks called spiritual disciplines we've got this week and next week and then we will be finished this series we've been diving into seven practices that we believe if we would incorporate into our everyday lives it will help us love and live like jesus so even if you're curious and going like i don't even know if i want to follow jesus you can study these things and get some insight into a little bit more about who Jesus is. And if you're already in love with Jesus, they can help you live a life that is, is like Jesus was living through you in your everyday practical life moment-by-moment reality. And so I just want to do a quick overview and recap of some of the things that we've covered and then we're going to dive right into this whole stewardship thing and it'll be a lot of fun. The first week we talked about meditation. Now that's a loaded word in our culture and in our world. A lot of times we think about meditation, we think about emptying ourselves. Christian biblical meditation is about filling our hearts and minds with things of God thoughts of god a great thing to do is marry that time with reading scripture and so we walked you through a practice called lectio divina which is just an ancient spiritual discipline on focusing on the word of god taking the word of god and allowing it to change us allowing it to captivate our hearts and our minds it's like putting something in a slow cooker versus a microwave that slow cooker is going to be full of flavor It's gonna be really good as we think about and immerse ourselves, saturate our hearts and minds with thoughts of God through the word, through prayer, through all these wonderful things. That's where we started. And then we dove into this other reality of silence and solitude, two unique practices that Jesus had an abundance in his life. He would regularly go away into quiet place and pray and spend time and learn a little bit more about what he was made to do in that moment, hearing instructions from his heavenly father and then going out and living that out in a daily basis. And we talked about how in our world today, we're full of noise. And it's important for us to create those spaces and those moments, those postures of anticipation that God is going to move in us and around us by practicing silence and solitude, even in the midst of all of the, the activity in, around our world and in our world. Then we dove into prayer, and we talked a little bit about that discipline and what that looks like. And then we talked about community. We talked about community and how that's uh, i think one of the most important practices and disciplines that we can give ourselves to as we emerge from this pandemic and slide into an endemic or whatever the phrase they're going to use to describe the season of life that we happen to be in in the moment and how we have to prioritize and discipline ourselves, make it a habit to connect with people, especially if we become accustomed over the last couple of years of remaining disconnected from one one another in various ways. Today, we're talking about stewardship. Stewardship. And the reason why is because you and I, we have lives that are gifted to us. We have lives that have been gifted to us, and you and I have decisions to make about how we want to invest our lives. That's a big, fancy way to describe stewardship. I was reminded of this story a grade 12 student. I happened to be a part of what was going to be the most prolific men's volleyball team of all time. It was grade 12, I had just turned 17. And we started that school year on a work-to-rule campaign out in Western Canada. A work-to-rule campaign means that the teachers will show up and do the bare minimum of work, but there's no extracurricular activities of any kind. Now, what you need to know about that most prolific men's volleyball team that would have started is they had started writing articles about our potential as a team two years prior to that year. We had some kids that were being scouted by the province of Alberta, because of their athletic prowess when it came to volleyball. Guys like Michael Myers, Kyle Reed, Jason Frizzell was not in that conversation. (laughs) Guys that were already being talked to by universities and colleges about the possibility of them coming and attending their college because of what they could do on the volleyball court. I happen to be a part of that mix because for some reason, this five foot nine dude happened to be the starting setter. But during that work to rule campaign, what it meant is that our season was at risk of never happening. September started, October came, shortly thereafter was November, and the teachers are still on a work to rule campaign. All the articles that were written all the thoughts, all the dreams, all the hopes, all the desire, all the potential amounted to nothing. There was no season. That's why I can say that was the greatest men's volleyball team of all time because nobody can contest it. There was no season because nothing was invested. When it comes to our own lives, unfortunately that reality can play itself out also. There is no season because nothing is invested. There is no moment because nothing happens. And so as we dive into this conversation about stewardship, we're going to be talking about three things, all from the Bible. Some of them might get you a little bit agitated, and that's okay. If you brought some tomatoes with you, you can chuck them at me. We're going to be talking about our time. We're going to be talking about our talent, and we're going to be talking about our treasure what we hold dear to us. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn, open it right now because we're going to be navigating through a bunch of different passages of Scripture. It's going to be an awesome time together. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, if you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible or you need a Bible, come see me after the service. We want to gift you a Bible. We believe as you allow this truth to ruminate in your heart and your mind and change the way that you think. It will help you live an invested stewardship life to the best of your ability. So if you don't have one, come see one. Come see me and we'll gift you one. You can also, on your mobile device, if you've got your phone, you're going to want to pull that out because we're going to be using that in a little bit as well. Pull that out and you can download the Bible version YouVersion Bible app. And on there, we have a, every Sunday a live event happening. And what that means is you can just, for, for a few finger taps or thumb clicks or whatever happens on your mobile device, you can, you can follow along on our uh, Our uh, sermon notes and all that stuff. Unfortunately, there's not a grading system, so you can't say, you know, it's a seven, and then it went to a three, and then it went up to an 11. But you can follow along on the notes, and it's a good stuff there. Right on the homepage section, the More Live Events C Road. I'm going to be reading from uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1, going through and reading verse 8. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. As I've read that scripture, what word jumps out at you that is said the most in those first eight verses? Time. Time. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about time in a two-fold expression. Much of our world today lives as a result. We've evolved from this Greek mindset of understanding and so much of our societal structure and learning and language, but also in our relationship to time. There's two Greek words that I want to share with you associated with time, and we'll unpack them together, and we'll see what this Ecclesiastes passage speaks to each one of those. The first is chronos. Chronos is a, like the longevity, like a linear expression of time. Here's some examples of how we celebrate time in a chronos or chronological capacity. Every single year, each one of us has a day in our lives that we either celebrate or ignore depending on our pedigree and background. It's called a birthday. It comes once a year, we know when it's going to happen. In fact, we can calendar it and know exactly what, will, what day it will be in the future. And we could look back at past calendars and understand what day we celebrated previous birthdays. I decided one day when we started having kids, I was like, I think it would be super fun if I knew what day I was born. I was born on a Thursday. Did you know Thursdays are really good days in my house? I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was born on a Thursday. Some of my kids are born on a Thursday. In fact, the majority of Frizzells in my household are Thursday-born people. Interesting fact about chronos, chronological time. Now, each one of us has a length of time that we've been gifted. None of us know how long that is. We can spend our lives trying to figure that out, and we can spend our lives trying to extend that to the best of our ability. But what is true about Kronos is it's finite in nature. It's got a beginning and it has an end. It's got a beginning and it has an end. You and I didn't choose when we were conceived or when we were born or the circumstances in which that happened for us. But at that moment, we stepped into Kronos We stepped into time. And from that moment moving forward, our time, some people think is running out, our time is what we make it to be. What I mean by that is our time is ours to be invested. There's this beautiful, wonderful passage that we read in Ecclesiastes about a time and expresses all these dichotomies. There's a time for this and a time for that. There's a season to every sort of purpose around life and every sort of expression. For those of us who claim to follow Jesus with our lives, we can honor Jesus with a way we embrace our time chronologically. We can honor him by the way we choose to live out our life on a daily basis. If you're looking for something to give your life to, like so many of us are, culturally, culturally, Might I suggest to you, if you want to maximize your Kronos, put it in the hands of somebody who created it and allow him to multiply it. Now, there's a second expression of time that's really important for us to understand. It happens within the framework of Kronos, but it's called Kairos. A Kairos refers to a moment or a memory that sticks out to you. That could be negative in nature, but it could also be positive in nature. It could be that time where you scored your very first goal as a hockey player. It could be that time where your crush circled yes on the question, on the note that says, do you like me? Yes or no? And they circled yes. It could be the time where your crush sent back the note and wrote maybe. Maybe. And you were more confused than ever. It could be that moment when you were told you were going to be a parent for the first time. It could be the moment where you met Jesus for the very first time. It could be that moment when you cried yourself to sleep. And you didn't want to wake up in the morning. Kairos are these moments that exist within the chronological order of our lives that stand out in some way, shape, or form. And it's important for us to understand both of those realities when it comes to time because when it comes to stewardship, time and stewardship are intimate friends. We have this finite reality that we are dealing with, a beginning and an end, filled with kairos moments all over the place. And following Jesus means allowing God to use that time in whatever expression he so desires. We invest regularly for full-time workers roughly 40 hours a week at work. We invest roughly, if we're doing it well, six to eight hours every evening for sleep. We invest a copious amount of time using the bathroom. I won't even get into that. We invest time speaking to friends. We invest time doing errands. We invest time investing money. We invest time in so many other ways. What I want us to begin to think about and be reminded of is, are we investing in the things that God cares about? Are we using our chronos and our Kairos to partner with Jesus and what he wants to do in our own lives and in the lives of other people. I confess to you that there are times where I do not want to give up my time. I want to keep it to myself. I might have one of my kids say, hey dad, could you help me with this? And I'm like, I'm sure I could, but I know your mom's home. And she's like, awesome. And then they'll say, she already sent us to you. And then I will say I guess you got to figure it out, got to grow up sometime. <laughs> this past week I had the privilege of doing a uh, a home visit for a friend of mine that was looking to purchase a property. And I walked through the property and I fit it into my schedule and it just had enough time. And then the realtor had the audacity to begin a conversation with me. And it lasted 10 minutes. And I wasn't prepared for it. I had a different mindset of how this was all going to play out. And I share this with my staff, with my teammates this week. I I was in that moment, not wanting to be in that moment, with the Holy Spirit tapping me on the shoulder saying, hello, Jason, pay attention. I'm doing something right now and you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. And when I slowed down or when I recognized, look, this Kronos, this isn't mine anyway. I can give it back to the one who gave me life. And then I was able to hear some details of this realtor's story that moved my heart to compassion and moved my heart to prayer. For that person, for their pain, for their fear. And I wouldn't have had that moment if I had just sped up and kept going. And far too often, that's what happens in our lives. We're rushing from one thing to the next. And I have this great fear as we emerge from this pandemic and we start to get our calendars more full and more full and more full that we will give into the temptation to maximizing our time, which just means filling up our calendar, and we will miss the moments that Jesus is inviting us into. And I think when we have a conversation about stewardship, we have to be fully aware that there are moments, there are kairos opportunities that God has planned for us all over the place. And if we're not aware of it, we're gonna blaze right past it. And that kairos moment could be life-changing for you or for somebody else. So the question is, how are you honoring God by the way you use your time? Do you have margin in your calendar and in your life to slow down, to stop, to recognize what Jesus is doing in you or around you, and to follow Jesus into the lives of people. Do you have margin for that? If we want to be a people that love and live like Jesus, we have got to be a people that offer our time, that submit our calendars to the risen King Jesus and allow him to shape and shift and sift whatever needs to be done so. Let's honor God with our time. We should be serving in our community and loving people like nobody's business. I read a stat the other day that since this whole uh, Ukrainian war has started up that on average, Canadians are investing 25% more, 25 more time in serving other people. And I thought to myself, I said, that seems like an incredible stat but what if it like was 25% from, say, 30 minutes? We're investing eight more minutes of time. I'm saying somebody's life that is devoted to Christ shouldn't be a life that is in slavery to a clock. It should be a life that's filled with freedom and hope. And when that neighbor asks for help, and you have margin to do so, you offer that help. And when there's an opportunity to serve in a capacity that you never thought might be possible inside of your church even, and you have the margin to help, you step up and you help. And you serve using your Kronos and your Kairos in anticipation that God's going to do something immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. That's not the only part of this stewardship conversation. We're going to dive further into this whole conversation about talent. Talent. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to head to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 10 and 11, or you can app your way there on the Bible reading app, the YouVersion app, if you'd like to do so. 1 Peter 4 verses 10 and 11 say this, "'God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts,' Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. In this letter, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, reminds each one of us, all of the readers, the first original readers that would have read this and heard this and us here today, a couple thousand years later, he reminds us that each one of us is gifted. We've got talent. We've got talent. You might not think it, you might not believe it, but God has put it in you. Talent. Some of it is untapped, some of it is unrefined, but it is there. It is kingdom potency. And unless we put it into practice, it becomes exactly like my high school volleyball career in grade 12 wasted potential, stories of what could have been, thoughts and ideals and behaviors and all these sorts of things that don't matter because it wasn't invested. And if we're honest, we don't invest sometimes because of the time piece that we've already talked about. We're nervous if we start investing our time or our talent. It'll take up too much time. But here's the thing about talent. When you're really good at something, it's lightweight work. It's easy work. If you're doing what God has asked you to do, it becomes life-giving, not life-sucking And you're empowered just like this text says with everything that God needs to equip you with to do what it is that he's asking you to do. The problem is we try to do something different than what he is asking of us. That's where we get into trouble. We're like, oh my goodness, my, my, my pastor said I need to be investing my time so I gotta give eight hours a week to my church. Hey, we would love for you to give eight hours a week of service but if Jesus isn't asking you, please don't do it. Like if you're like, oh man, I could serve and in, in volunteer with kids, but I hate children. Don't do it. God in his infinite wisdom has not only given us the gift of Kronos, but he's also stitched together every single community with exactly what they need as a community to do what God is asking them to do. The problem is we don't always hear from God directly. We hear from an abundance of other extraneous sources that create convolution and chaos and destruction and, dare I say, spiritual impotence. You've got talent. If you're going like, I don't know what to do with my talent, ask Jesus. Jesus, what do I do with this that you have given me? That answer might come in five minutes. That answer might come in five years. But I'm telling you, that answer is going to come. You've got talent. How are you investing it for the sake of God's kingdom? Not your own, not the Sea Road brand. How are you investing it alongside of the time that you've been giving? To bring Jesus honor and glory. Sometimes we're not able to do the things that God is asking of us. Because we do not have the people with the talent that are willing to invest it. Sometimes we might pray a prayer like, oh my goodness. Jesus, why aren't you creating revival in our midst right now? Sometimes it's because we ourselves are getting in our own way, because we're unwilling to invest our time or our talent, giving it over to Jesus. And then we believe this lie that says, hey, maybe I don't have enough to offer. <laughs> this was great story that I love thinking about when people tell me that. It's from the life of Jesus, and he's Preaching to this massive crowd of 5,000 men, and we know that there were more there because they just measured the men. So, you know, there's women and children bustling around as well. So, conservatively speaking, you're, you're dealing with, you know, 10, 12,000 people, maybe even more. And they're following him around, they want to hear everything that he has to say, and they're hanging on every word, and he's preaching, and he's talking, and they're just like, wow. Wow. And they don't recognize that, you know, time is taken away and their their chronological cues inside start rumbling and and their and their bellies are rumbling because they're hungry. And they're not at home to prepare food. They're listening to this guy preach and, and talk and share and inspire. And they're hungry. And all of a sudden they start recognizing, wait, we're hungry. And Jesus' friends start recognizing they got this whole group of people that are starting to get hungry. And now they're like, well, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, well, why don't you feed them? And they're like, you crazy? Like, there's more than a month wait. Like, feeding a family of seven is hard. Feeding a family of like 12,000, I don't even want to begin to think about the complexities of that. It's hard. And they start to go, wow, we can't do it. There's no way. There's no possibility. Like, this isn't going to happen. Let's just send them all away. And midst of all of that strategic planning, up comes a young boy with a lunch. And he just says, hey. And I I, kind of try and place myself in that story. I try and watch it unfold. And, you know, it happens sometimes in our household when Bonnie and I are trying to solve a real adult problem. One of the kids comes with a solution And we're like, that's perfect, but we can't tell them. (laughs) And this little boy offers his lunch. And Jesus recognizes the offering, the talent. And he touches it. And he blesses it. And he breaks it. And he multiplies it. But don't let me hear you say you got no talent. Are you giving it over to the one that can make something with it? Or are you keeping it for yourself? And if you're keeping it for yourself, how's that going? All right, friends, let's talk about treasure. Here's where you're going to need your tomatoes. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 is where we're headed. Verses 6 through 12. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When do, you, when do we ever cheat you? You have cheated me. Of the tithes and offerings, do me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it. Take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. When we talk about treasure, this is where it gets sticky. It gets sticky because what our, what's ours is ours. And let me, let me just be really clear as I share with this from you. I am not begging for money. God sustains and he provides and he cares far better than any human being can ever do. What I'm saying and what this passage is reminding us of is this ancient practice and principle of worship. See, stewardship is a synonym for worship. We can worship God with our time. We can worship God with our talent. We can worship God with our treasure. And here's what happens with our treasure sometimes, especially in our profit oriented culture and society that we live in today. We want to take care of ourselves first. But at the beginning of time, at the beginning of Kronos for all human, humanity, we see a very different framework for treasure. The first few pages of the Bible were introduced to this husband and wife and their kids. A man named Adam, his wife Eve, we've got a couple sons, Abel and Cain. And they're involved in this expression of worship, of investing their treasure, giving it over to God as an act of worship. And one son, Abel, is doing it well, and another son, Cain, isn't doing it well. And there have been people that have tried to decipher this for years and years and years on why one person's offering was pleasing to God, and the other son's offering was not pleasing to God. I think it has to do with the concept of first fruits. See, a lot of people read a passage like this from Malachi and they're like, oh my goodness, if I, if I invest in God's kingdom, then I'm going to be given to more and more and more. That's called the prosperity gospel and that's not really the gospel. See, our investment of our treasure is an expression of worship. It's a declaration that says, look, I am not going to withhold anything from you, God. I'm going to give you my first fruits. And here's the problem. Some of us, we give God our leftovers. Not like that little boy that brings his lunch uneaten. We bring a half-eaten lunch. Or, you know, the calendar year gets to the, the, the end of December and we're like, oh, darn, we haven't invested anything in the generosity of giving to our local church or other charities that we support and so we'll make sure that we are good by the year end and then we give this lump sum of money and this that and the other and we wonder why it's hard at the end of the year to find $5000 I like consider this if you had a household income of 50 grand the principle of tithing the principle of investing it is to start with a 10% concept. 10% of it, first fruits, we can offer that to God. Imagine if you're making a household income of $50,000 and it comes to the end of December, and you recognize, man, we haven't been honoring God with our treasure at all, what do we need to give? And you look at your bank statement, and you're like, well, we know we make $50,000, we need to give 10%, that's five grand. I, I'd be hard-pressed to know a lot of people that just have five grand kicking around doing nothing. And so then we might be like, well, we don't have five grand, but maybe we can give 50 bucks. That should do, right? And then we wonder why we struggle financially. We wonder why relationships are breaking down all over us, all over the place and all around us. We wonder why we're all confused and frustrated. We wonder why we are encountering unanswered prayers and all that stuff. We're not honoring God with our treasure. We're not worshiping God. We're not worshiping God with our first fruits. And the crazy thing is, to find $5,000 at the end of the year is really difficult, but to find to find $100 on a weekly basis is a lot more simple. if we want to definitely see God in greater ways than we've ever experienced him before, might I challenge you towards this idea of honoring God with your treasure first. Starting with whatever's in your hand first. And I'll be honest with you, there are months where I have not done that And at the end of that month, I am more strapped for cash than on the months where I have been diligent and disciplined in stewarding whatever form of treasure comes across my plate or into my bank account. See, and the frustrating thing is when we're honoring God with our treasure, it's not so that there are strings attached to our generosity. That's not generosity. See, sometimes we want to give to make sure that whatever expression of kingdom movement forward we want to see happen happens. That's not honoring God with your first fruits, it's manipulation. I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and I've had lots of different conversations with people about money during those last two decades. And the most heart grieving and heart wrenching things are when people tell me, I'm withholding my tithe because I don't like the preacher. Or I'm withholding my tithe because I hate the music. You think you're inflicting pain on on God's family. You're not. You're just heaping it on yourself. You wonder why you're disconnected. You wonder why you don't feel like you belong. You're not honoring God with your treasure. It starts right there. You can sling the tomatoes if you'd like. I'm just telling you what the word says. I'm telling you what the word says. You want God to move in you and through you. You got to worship. You got to worship him with your treasure, with your talent, with your time. Despite what other elements may be connected around that. You might be going to a church that you're really frustrated with right now. You might be mad that we um, haven't handled this whole pandemic season well as a church here at C-Road and you're frustrated and angry with us and so you, you withhold your tithe from us thinking, oh, that'll stick it to them. God is God and he provides and the only one that is inflicted with pain in those moments is you. Like I said at the beginning of this thing, it's not a plea for money. God provides, God does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. This is a plea for you to understand that stewardship is at the core of following Jesus. You cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus and not live generously with your time, your talent, and your treasure. It does not compute. Jesus does not look at you and I and say, well, I'll give them the leftovers. He looks at us and says, I will give everything. I will give everything. So where do we go from here, Jason? This is where your phone comes in. You got it handy, I want you to pull it out. If you don't have your phone, I want you to visualize or pull out the thing that represents some of your time, your talent, your treasure. Could be a day planner. It could be a pen that's in your purse or your carry-on that represents, you know, when you write it in pen, then it's going to happen. I want you to pull it out. I want you to put it in your hand. On my phone, I've got my calendar. I've got the lovely ability to pay all my bills check on my bank accounts, see where I'm deficient, see where I need to pray more. I can check on the investments that we have made for our children's future education and pray that not all five of them want to go to university. (laughs) All those bits and pieces, a lot of that information is on our phone. And what we're going to do over these next few moments is we're just going to pray Over the things that represent a collection of our time, of our talent, and of our treasure. Because I can make you laugh, or I can point out what the word says, but it means nothing unless God inspires you. Unless God invites you to change the way that you think, and live willingly and freely according to his rhythms of stewardship. And so I want to pray for your phone. I want to pray for your calendar. I want to pray for your bank accounts. I want to pray for your hearts. I want to pray for your minds. I want to ask God to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. And I think I can imagine a whole lot, but it pales in comparison to what Jesus can. And so I want to pray for stewardship in your life and in my life knowing that that generosity is going to be a calling card of hope for today and for tomorrow. So if you feel so led, you can pull out your phone and keep it in your hand, or if you feel like you need to kneel in submission to Jesus, not to me, you feel free to do that. If you're like, man, I just need to like, walk around or stand up or raise my hands, whatever it is, whatever posture of prayer you feel that Jesus is leading you into, I wanna invite you with the freedom related to following Jesus to express that. As we go to prayer, let's pray together. Father, there are so many of us in this space that have had a convoluted relationship with stewardship. We've misunderstood it at times. We felt challenged negatively or maybe even shamed to do more for Jesus. And so now we're, we're hesitant and we're nervous about what that could mean, hearing a message and a talk about investing our time once again. For some of us, God, we have these painful kairos moments and memories where we've Invested our treasure and it's blown up in our faces. Or we've invested our talent and somebody came along and said that we stink. That God does not have that in mind for us. And that we're only self-seeking as we invest the gift that we've been given. And so, Jesus, whether we have our phones in our hands or our day planners, whether we have those painful moments and memories or exhilarating ones, whatever's in our hands here today and in this moment, we offer to you. God, we want to be a people that are moved through stewardship, that are moved to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure for the sake of your name and your kingdom because you've got greater things in mind than anything that we've experienced up until this point. Lord, my heart breaks when I hear of this housing crisis and crunch that we're in. We've got people, literally, that cannot find homes. We have people that choose to live on the street, but more often than not, they choose not to. They have no other option. And they're living in this space because there's nothing for them. God, that should move us. I don't know what the solution is, but I know that you do. And so as we seek you and your wisdom and your insight and your passion, you will provide the way forward through all of the things that we're struggling with individually and societally. So God, now is that moment. Today is that day, March 27th, 2022. It's a tipping point. It's a Kairos Moment in time. So these phones, these agendas, these pens, these pains, these memories, everything that's in our hand, God, would you filter it through your heart, your kingdom mindset? Or these next few weeks, would you give the women and men in this space of all ages, the teenagers, the young adults, the seniors, Would you give them supernatural insight in how they can adjust their own personal calendars to create margin for you, space for you? Father, would you reignite those missions and those moments that you've invited us into previously, pre-pandemic, pre-COVID? Would you give us a roadmap for what what it looks like to invest that next? And for those of us in seasons of waiting, Would you, cling, would you allow us to cling to the hope and truth that even in the waiting, you are preparing hearts and minds and, and soil for future investment? God, as a church, we also want to be known as a, an organization, a body, a framework, a family that invests our time and our talent and our treasure well. Would you give us as leaders supernatural insight on what to say no to, so that we can say yes to the things that are from you? Would you allow us as a community to partner with what you wanna do? Not so that we get famous, but so that people can understand that you are exactly who you say you are. A loving God who's passionate about all people. Father, would you cement these things in our hearts and minds as we submit to you? Allow us to be women and men that are good stewards of what you've given in terms of our time, our talent, and our treasure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.